Good morning. Who would have thought this year is just about over? It was just New Year's here. It seems like yesterday. You know, when you were um, 17, 18, you couldn't wait till you were 20. The years, the days go, go by. Now it's uh, my age, 39, things. <laughs> Things go much faster, it seems, so time flies by. Well, we're going to look at a portion of scripture that is familiar probably to the vast majority of you here, the sixth chapter of John, the Gospel of John, chapter six, if you would. Just a few verses, we're going to step in uh, right in the middle of the dialogue that's going on here. Uh, Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, these are the Jews that were carrying him, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Drop on down to verse uh, 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Lord assures us that he blesses the reading of his most precious Word. Just very quickly, if you would look again at verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am. I am the eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient one. I am. You might remember that term that was given when, uh, to Moses when he asked, uh, when he was commissioned to go back to Egypt and to bring the people of Israel out. He said, well, who am I going to say has sent me? He says, I am. Tell him I am has sent you. The eternal God, the supreme being. And so the, the I am of the Old Testament The Lord is claiming to himself here in this particular portion, the Lord Jesus Christ. An interesting study for those that are students of the word is to look for Jehovah in the word of God and see who Jehovah really is, the Jehovah of the Old Testament. It's 
the Spirit of God is addressed as Jehovah. The Father is addressed as Jehovah. The Lord Jesus is addressed as Jehovah. And here in the New Testament, the Lord claims that to himself, I am. And seven times, beginning from, starting here in the sixth chapter of John and going on through the 15th chapter of John, seven times the Lord uses this title, seven great claims that he makes regarding himself. And if we follow the pattern there, if we, you'll have to skip around to look at these seven great I am's. It's all of the provision that is necessary for us. He is the light where the darkness encroaches. He is the very entrance into the riches of the grace of God as the door. He brings forth restoration and comfort and protection as the good shepherd. He gives assurance of eternal life when he makes the claim, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the path to intimate relationship. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the power for fruitful living. I am the true vine. And here he's the bread that brings forth satisfaction. Satisfaction. The early part of this chapter, the beginning of this chapter, we see, of course, the events of the feeding of the 5,000 take place. Then there's a little intermission where we read about the Lord walking on water and so on. And they, they, all these folks that were fed the bread, these 5,000 plus, many of them now come to the west side of the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, following the Lord. And they're wondering, well, how did you get here? And he doesn't really answer that. And then they, they, he, he chides them, he uh, reproves them because what they were seeking him for is for the bread. This practical provision for their bodies. We're somewhat like that. If you're, we're believers, we're somewhat like that, are we not? We look for satisfaction, we look for provision in the bread of God for ourselves. Satisfaction for ourselves, for our, not for our bodies, but for our souls. Christ satisfying the soul. And it's true in these verses that we just read that there is that provision in Christ for the believer and also for the unbeliever, if they choose to partake of that bread. There is that, where God satisfies us in our souls with Christ. But if we stop there, we miss the greater picture. We miss the bigger issue that's presented here. And what's presented here is the satisfaction, not simply of the believer and meeting the needs of the unbeliever, but the satisfaction of a holy God. 
Let me read just a verse, actually two verses, and I'm going to couple them together, one verse with a half of another. I don't think I'm going to do damage to the scriptures, but I think you'll see the sense of meaning here. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now look at the latter part of verse 51. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Not the flesh that I shall give to the world, but for the life of the world. The bread of God is the Lord Jesus Christ offering himself up as a sacrifice for the redemption of the world. Think of that. So it isn't just Christ alone that is the bread of God. It is Christ in that infinite work on the cross of Calvary where he presents himself as a sacrifice to the only one that can receive that sacrifice, God himself. The presentation is to God. And may I say that in that presentation, God is satisfied. We're going to have to step back a little bit and look at the illust an illustration of this in the Old Testament. Turn with me to the 44th chapter, and our uh, brother Andy Ramos brought this out in uh, the last, uh, what was it, last week that he was here, and it drew some thoughts here for me as well, so <clears throat> kind of refreshed my thoughts on this particular passage. Ezekiel chapter 44, we have now the, the identification of the bread of God in the Old Testament. Verse 7, please. When you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart, and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary to defile it, my house, and when you offered my bread, if you have the New King James, it says my food, there may be other versions where it says my food, but it is my bread, the fat and the blood. That word is my bread. It is used over and over again. Leviticus chapter 21, we could go through all the sections where it is uh, <clears throat> my bread. And so the bread identified in the Old Testament the bread of God is the fat and the blood. The fat and the blood. The fat that is being spoken of is not the outward fat, but it's the fat that is attached to the carcass around the organs. And he says, this is my bread, my provision. Turn with me to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 3, I think. We're going to look just at one case here. 
the peace offering, and we're going to see how this, the blood and the fat is to be utilized, to be used. This bread of God, obviously it is peculiar. It is something that is, that God makes an emphasis about. It is his bread. Let's read, beginning with uh, verse 9, please. Then he shall offer, this is speaking of someone that is bringing in a peace offering, um, and the peace offering is, uh, it starts off in this particular chapter, chapter 3, where you bring an animal from the herd, or now in chapter, in verse 9, it's a, it's a lamb, and then on down further, it's a goat of the flock. But the, the process, the procedure in presenting and offering this offering, this animal, is identical. It's the same. And so we're breaking right out in the middle. In fact, let's go to verse 7 rather than verse 9. If he offers a lamb of his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar, then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord its fat and the whole fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and of the fatty lobe attached to the liver Above the kidneys he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as bread, as a bread offering made by fire to the Lord. Each of these offerings, the blood offerings, be they sweet-smelling offerings or the expiatory offerings, the sin offering. Uh, and the trespass offering, or the peace offering, and the burnt offering. In each case, first of all, the, the burnt offering being somewhat different because the animal as a whole was, was burnt on the altar of burnt offerings, but all the others, the very first thing that was taken out of the sacrifice was the internal fat, the, the suet, around the kidneys, the internal organs, and that was offered up to the Lord as a sweet-smelling savior to him before the rest of the animal was offered in the way, in the manner prescribed. Some of the animals were prescribed to be offered outside, some on the altar of burnt offering. It doesn't matter what happened with the animal. The very first thing that needed to be done is God's portion had to be given to him. Verse 17 of the same chapter, this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generation in all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. The flat fat and the blood was exclusively God. It is that part of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, depicted herein as an illustration, that was 
a sweet-smelling Savior to God. God's portion. God's portion. In chapter 7, we won't go there, but you can see the reasoning that's given there and the prescription regarding the, the eating and uh, eating of the blood and the misuse of the, uh, the eating of the uh, fat and the misuse of the blood, the consequences of that. And so there's a portion that belongs to God alone, the bread of God. No one could partake of it. Yet, it seems to be a contradiction from the Old Testament where no one could partake of the bread of God. We're invited in the New Testament, in fact, not only invited, but it is necessary to partake of the bread of God in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? This was a perpetual thing for the Israelites. They would bring their sacrifices, and although that was a sweet-smelling Savior in the nostrils of God, it satisfied only as far as that sacrifice went. But when Christ offered up himself, there God was satisfied completely forever. And the invitation that he makes now, not the restriction not to eat the bread of God, but in fact to eat the bread of God. Go back with me again to the sixth chapter of John. And again, let's read verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh and of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. My flesh is bread indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Here the prescription is that you have to appropriate, eat of the bread, and drink of the blood. What does that mean? Just that, appropriate the cross, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. The Catholics come up with uh, some system regarding this, and other groups do as well. It was a stumbling block for the Jews. Appropriate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of God, partake of it. 
Here is the living bread. He, uh, as the bread of God, now he becomes the living bread. The impartation of life. We've never had bread that imparts life. We have bread that support, supports life, but not imparts life. And yet here he is, the living bread that imparts life. And you have to eat of it in order to have that life. God is satisfied with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's satisfied with the, with the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for all of humanity. He's available for all. Salvation is available for all. Look at what it says here again. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the whole world. But you have to take it. You have to eat that bread and drink that bread. And this morning, if you're here outside of Christ, apply the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ to yourself. Leviticus chapter 16. Remember the Day of Atonement? Leviticus chapter 16, the twofold aspect of the cross is presented in Leviticus chapter 16. First of all, the priest, the high priest would enter into the very holy of holies with the blood of a goat upon which the Lord's lot fell. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat as a propitiation before the Lord. And God accepted that and was satisfied with that. That's only a picture. He was satisfied with the propitiation which is ours, the Lord Jesus Christ. Satisfied with that offering. And that offering is available for all. The teachings that are out there, the Calvinists that say that he gave himself for the world of the believer only. And those that open up to everyone. God is the, the father of all and therefore none shall be lost. You see, this is only one half of the cross work. There is another side to it. The goat upon whom the lot of the people fell, the high priest as a um, principle for the nation would place his hands upon that goat's head and that with suggesting identification and that goat would be sent off into the wilderness, that sin removed forever. You see the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful enough to, move, to remove every sin of every human being that has ever lived. But there's a part that we play. God is satisfied with the work of the cross, but there is a part that we play in it all. Identification with the Lord Jesus as our substitute, as having died for us. Do you see it? The power of the cross. And so he gave himself for the life of the world. But not all will be saved. There is the need for identification. 
He is my substitute. He died for me. A lovely picture. And so he, the bread of God, is also the living bread that imparts life if we partake of it, if we identify with him. For the believer, he's also um, the bread of life, the provision that satisfies day by day. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This isn't salvation. This is now uh, substance that's given for the way. This word, he who comes, is really a present continuous tense. He who comes and keeps on coming and keeps on coming and keeps on coming, God will never run out of enough Christ for the believer. Christ is always available in every place, at every time, for every need of the saint. Not only is he available, but he is enough. Is enough. So the provision of the bread of God satisfies the Father. The Father shares it with us now. Partake, eat, and be saved. And when you're saved, here he's enough of the provision for every element of life, spiritual life for you. But it doesn't end there. Let's go back again to Ezekiel chapter 44 very quickly. Ezekiel chapter 44. Now, Ezekiel 44 speaks of events that are future yet of the temple that is to come. But there are, there are elements here um, that were also contemporary for the time. And so he's addressing some of these things. Just very quickly, if you would uh, look at, with me with ver at verse 10 of chapter 44. And the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them, because they ministered to them before their idols and cost the caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore I have raised up my hand in an oath against them, saying, as says the Lord God, they shall bear their iniquity and they shall not come near me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, 
but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its works and for all that had to be done in it. And so here's a group of priests, family of Levite, and these priests have gone after idols. In fact, when we read the initial part of, uh, of uh, this chapter, verse 7, it says, when you brought in foreign foreigners uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary to defile it. And so here was a group of priests that had gone after idols, and God in his grace now upon their repentance brings them back, back in the position as priests, but only to minister to the saints, to the people of God, not to him. Now drop down to verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. Minister to me the fat and the blood. Minister to me the bread of God the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that's what took place this morning here at the Lord's Supper. We have the great privilege of ministering to God. And that ministry to God is the Son himself. This is my beloved Son, in whom I find all of my delight. A-L-L. There is his delight in his Son, he shared his son with us. He's satisfied in his son going to the cross of Calvary. The sacrifice for us. And he shares him with us. And we have the great privilege of coming back and presenting again to the Father. The one in whom he delights. The Lord Jesus himself. Oh, dear Christian, what a privileged people we are. Here, the blood and the fat speaks of the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ as seen in the offerings. We could present him as the one who has died for what, who I am by nature. We could present him as the one who has died for my transgressions, my sins, the worth of this one who gave himself to take away my sins. We can present him as the one who meets the sweet approval of God, the burnt offering. We can present him as the peace offering, not simply as the one who made peace, but the one that peace offering speaks of the, an offering of deliverances. That's the suggestion there. That have made peace. An offering made by fire to celebrate the deliverances we receive through the, burnt, uh, through the uh, sin offering and the trespass offering. And by virtue of that, peace is made. 
we can bring the Son to the Father. And Brother Randy Amos brought out the issue when we looked through the tabernacle of the altar of incense, and that there is a place of prayer that speaks of the sweet prayer of the saints ascending on high. And it is true. But we must look at prayer in perhaps a threefold way. There's the prayer proper, the prayer for supplication, where we bear before the Lord's our needs. And so supplication, the prayer of supplication, deals or is oriented towards our needs. There's a prayer of thanksgiving and praise, which centers itself in the blessings that we have. But there is a prayer that is worship. There the occupation isn't of our needs, nor indeed of our blessings, but the occupation was with God himself. Again, going back to Leviticus chapter 16, the first thing that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies with on that one day that he could go in, was not with blood, but with the incense. And the command is there that he would come in with hands full of that sweet-smelling incense. Now, when we looked at the tabernacle, we noted that God was very particular in giving dimensions and weights and elements that were to be used. But in this particular case, he gave no weight and only the dimensions of the hands of the high priest. What he's saying, it doesn't matter the size of your hands, but the hands are to be filled with a sweet incense, which is Christ Jesus, and to be placed upon the coal of the censer, which is our heart, worship going forth to the Father. You know, one of the Words for worship, one of the descriptions of worship is, in fact, hands full. Hands full. Hands full of the heave offering. Hands full of the first fruits. Hands full of the sweet incense which speaks of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go into the very holy of holies, invited to go into the very holy of holies with the sweet incense of the person of our Savior, permeating and also bringing that sweetness, permeating us, bringing that sweetness to us as well. Oh, dear saints, the bread of God, not just provision, simple provision for us, but provision that satisfies the heart of God. And now as we realize who that is, may we indeed delight in the fact that we are privileged enough to bring before the Father the Lord Jesus Christ in all his perfection. 
Let us pray. Oh, Father, we do indeed thank Thee for Thy lovely Son. We thank Thee, O blessed Father, that He is the one from heaven, Your very bread that You so willingly share with us now because You have been satisfied in thy Son and his accomplishment on the cross of Calvary, his offering up himself as sacrifice unto thee on our behalf. O oh, Father, we pray that in the days before us that thou would draw our heart closer to the Lord Jesus, that the testimony of the Holy Spirit, Father, in our lives might be the person of thy lovely Son, and that, O oh, Father, we might indeed bring a sweet-smelling aroma unto thee, Christ, in us, and to those that are round about us. We ask it all in the lovely name, the matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.